I was going to let him preach. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, pinball wizard, huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Good everybody here this morning. Um, I've got a message that is, uh, uh, this one is, uh, messages that God gave me the title, <laughs> but uh, I like this for a title. It says the courage of consist uh, of of cons- uh, continuation. The courage of continuation. How many of you have ever felt that man? If I had the courage, I can continue. I'm going to teach you this morning through the Word that if you continue, you're going to get the courage. I'm going to preach the other way this morning. So praise the Lord. How many brought their Bible this morning? Your Bible. Uh, this is the analog version. This is the digital version. If you got a cell iPhone, whatever you uh, use. How many know what the best translation of the Bible is? I always say this. What's the best translation of the Bible? The one you'll actually pick up and read. Hallelujah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it sits on the shelf. If you don't know what it says, it doesn't help you. But the fact is we read this morning. So um, I want to share some things with you. I understand something, what I'm about to share with you. How many ever have critics criticize whatever they do? You know, you do this. Or, or they'll tell you what you're planning on doing, but you really don't know what you're doing. So basically, uh, is, is this just me or is this how it usually is? Why does it seem like it's, like it's the person who's never done anything that keeps telling you it can't be done? And I, I was, I, I mean, I, it just dropped in my heart on the other, a couple of days ago. But the fact is, the thing about this, I started the church here in, in Key West 30 years ago. And well, actually, I'm coming on 31 years now. Uh, it was 1990 uh, when I started the church. May of 1990, I started the church here. I didn't know anybody, just came here. Uh, I was, uh, believed I was listening to the Lord and what he said to do. Had, I had pioneered a church up in Boynton Beach, Florida, and we moved my whole family down. This is how we started here. We didn't from Key West, so we didn't know anything. But we started the church here 30 years ago. Now, if I fast forward to the year 2020, where we are right now, October 2020, Right now, it stands on our records that just in this church alone, now this doesn't count my missionary travels, it doesn't count all around the world, just in this church alone, we have ministered to that we know of. This is the people who filled up visitor's cards, membership card, whatever. People have been part of this. We have ministered to over 3,000 people in Key West. But when I first came here, my phone would ring off the hook of other, not necessarily pastors, but youth pastors and people, elders and different things of other churches, and they would say this to me, say, what makes you think we need another church in Key West? And I would say the same thing. Uh, you seem to have plenty of bars. What's wrong with the church? Uh, one young fellow, he was a youth pastor of one of the Pentecostals. I'm not going to mention the name. But the fact is, is, he said to me, he says, who do you think you are to start a church here? I said, well, I think I'm a servant of the Lord. I think I'm doing what God has called me to do. Uh, how old are you, son? <laughs> when you get dry behind the ears, come and talk to me. and We'll talk about how calling of the Lord works and how basically what he, what he looks for. And so this is how we did 30 years ago. So right off the bat, and then of course, 20 years ago, we built this, we rented this building and built this and built a daycare from scratch. Nobody, you know, I didn't know how to build a daycare. God showed me how to do everything. And I was buying electrical supplies because I helped with the building process. My trade was electrician, so I, could, I did the wiring and stuff. So I'd go down to the supply house right down the street here. And there was a guy who worked behind the counter. He says, you're the one, you're the pastor of that thing who's building that daycare center? Yeah, huh? That's me. And he says, uh, I'll tell you right now, you can go work. You're going to tell me right now it's not going to work. How do you know it's not going to work? Uh, people on, on this island, they're not going to put up, they, they, uh, this is Stock Island. You're not going to succeed. He said, for one thing, nobody will come and work for you. This is what the guy was telling me. I said, we won't. I said, we're about to see. And, and I come here, and before I know it, I had applicants. We started hiring people. And uh, 
and I says, went back to him at, for Joanna. I said, by the way, I says, there's a little prophecy there about the, I said, we got, all, we got our teachers and our staff all in place. Well, maybe, but you're not going to get any kids. Uh, we ran about almost 80 kids. I had a full-time staff of 11 people when he, at the time he says that. He's not working there anymore. I'm still here. Okay? I should have asked him, did you ever start a church? Did you ever do anything in the ministry besides criticize what's going on? I said, did you ever try to uh, pastor? Or, or No, they did nothing. All I work here behind the counter. Now he's probably working behind somebody else's counter. I, don't, I haven't seen him in years, but the fact is this goes back years ago. So the thing is, is I learned a long time ago, right from the beginning, you can't listen to the critics. There's not one monument ever built to a critic. Not one memorabilia ever given to a critic. However, there has been men that have been famous men that have thought they were, people thought they were absolutely nuts for what they were doing, but yet they come in and they, they begin to do it. So when I say that the courage of continuation, the continuation process will actually build courage. You think you need to get courage before you continue. I'm telling you, we're doing it backwards, and I'm going to give you the scriptural proof to prove it. Don't take my word for it. How many know this is the word of God? We'll take, believe the word of God. The word of God proves it that way. We continue in what God tells us to do, and then he blesses. I'm going to show you where Jesus himself gave out a special blessing, and he particularly mentioned the people who continued with him. All right, so I'll give you, I better get started because uh, Jason cut into my preaching time with all of my introduction time. But anyway, praise the Lord. Thank God for the people working hard. So why does it always seem like that? Because that person has nothing to do but sit there. And they, I think what happens is when you succeed, it becomes intimidating to somebody who's not succeeding. I don't know why it is. I always cheer people on to succeed. I think I, I like successful people, and I, I, I've had uh, many of them come through the church and many, uh, through the Key West and stuff like that, and I, I, I appreciate them. I appreciate uh, their input. Uh, but the fact is, is, is I think if we start walking humble instead of with big heads, we'll start seeing more of God working in our life. Amen. Amen. Pride comes before a fall. The Bible says, but God, his mercy endures with people who are, are humble themselves to him. As a matter of fact, James put it this way. He says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. We never say that verse first. We always say this verse first. We always say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But we never get the humility part in there. It says, no, first humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Now resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, anyway, a couple, a couple of stories I want to give you real quick. This is what I noticed. If you've ever quit anything, quitting sets limits. So listen to the wording, wording, wording very carefully. Quitting sets limits to God's operational power in your life. Operational power in your life. It doesn't stop God or diminish him one bit, but it diminishes your effectiveness or effectiveness or what God has placed in you. It diminishes you. So whenever you decide to quit something that God told you to keep on, especially if God told you to do it. Now, we can look at different things and see different things and, and, and go, say, well, what about quitting sin, Pastor? Somebody's going to say that. Well, that's one thing you should quit, but the fact is, have you ever tried to quit and fall back into it again? Or how about this? You tried to quit sin, but another one popped up in its place. Huh? So how's it working for you? How about this? Instead of having a sin consciousness, how about a redemptive consciousness where you receive Christ and receive the forgiveness of Christ and have the healing for both? Amen? Praise God. There's a difference between the act of sin and the state of sin. People can mess up and fall into sin, but the fact is a, a constant state of sin is something different. That'll take you to hell. Praise the Lord. But if we go back to Christ with our faults and so on, so let's clear that, clear that right away. 
But understand something, in the process of continuing with Jesus, something happens and changes within us. Over the years, as the older I get, and seems I'm getting older lately, but the older I get, I find this out, that the more we can continue on, in spite of what it seems to be failures, in spite of what seems to be obstacles, the more we can continue on, the more God can operate in our life, and the more I see the supernatural. Praise the Lord. All right, let me, what I want to do, I got, I got some, I'm going to run this down. I got some characters I want to, in, in the Bible that you, you're familiar with. I'm going to take the most extreme first, and I'm going to bring it down. And finally, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said about the whole thing, uh, about this continuation. All right, can I do that? Okay, Daniel chapter 3, you can turn here if you want, or just listen to me. Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18, talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many ever heard of them three guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys continued into the faith that they knew, continued with God regardless of what the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted them to do. And they were the three Hebrew children that refused, they absolutely refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, golden image or idol or whatever it was. Why? Because their God, the one true God, Jehovah, that they knew, frowned on adultery, uh, idolatry. Idolatry was bowing down and worshiping of idols. So basically, because he, they frowned at it, they refused to do it. They would not do anything to uh, disrupt or dis- do anything to uh, uh, cause uh, um, God grief, basically. So they were good kids. How many have kids? Aren't you thankful for kids that don't cause you grief as parents? Okay, well, these are, so it didn't matter. It didn't matter if Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow, this is going to be the new God because I'm a God, I've set myself up as God, and I have the power over life and death. I can kill you or not kill you. And they said, we don't care. We're not bowing. So out of all the hundreds of thousands of people that were out there gathered that day, here's three guys stood up against an entire nation and a king who had the power to kill them on the spot. And they said they didn't care. And what they said was this. They said, they said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. Amen. Or fiery furnace, excuse me. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now listen to this. That's fine. God is going to deliver us. God will save us. That's fine. Here's the statement I really like. And even if God doesn't do it, we're still not bowing ears, stinking idol. I put in I, a little Kevin Kerr paraphrase there, but the fact is we're still not bowing. So we'd rather burn than bow to your decree. We'd rather upset you than upset our God. We'd rather get in your face than in God's face. Man, that's backbone. And Nebuchadnezzar just blew a fuse. He said, heat up that furnace seven times hotter. And he said, grab a hold of them guys. Matter of fact, the guy that was heating up the furnace died. The flames came out, lapped him up, and killed him. So we knew it was real. And he got the three Hebrew children, and he just took them, and he threw them in that furnace. And they came in that, went in that fiery furnace, fully clothed, wearing their clothes, wearing their hats. They didn't strip them down. Boom, fully clothed, went into that furnace. And there they walked about inside the furnace amongst the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, and he said, what on earth? How many guys we throw in there? They said, we threw three in there, king. He says, then how come I see four walking around? Now listen to what this idolater king said. He said, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. How do you know what the Son of God looked like? Hmm, I guess the glory of God is recognizable even to the the person who never saw him before. But the glory of God was recognizable. And here these guys are walking around and saying, hmm, the fourth. 
Those guys came out of there and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I guess their God was not only able, but I guess he was also willing to save them from the fire furnace. Say, well, that's good, Pastor. That's a good sermon, but I'm not going through any fire furnace. Nobody's going to fill me in any kind of furnace. True, true. But the principle's still the same. Are you willing to stand up for God's, for, 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 your, for your Lord and the principles in which he, he's given you to live by? Or are you just going to fold? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sin now and ask for God's forgiveness later. How's that working for you? <laughs> I, I very seldom argue any kind of theology with people or argue, don't argue with people at all, really. Uh, you're free to believe what you want to believe. But I, I will ask this one question. How's it working for you? Now, I can tell you how our, my Christianity is working for me. Here's my wife that I've been married to. We've been married almost 50 years. Uh, I was 19 when I married Diane. Diane was 18. We raised two children, have four grandchildren. I said, we're still married. We have never been married to anybody else, right? I have never suffered divorce. I used to, I used to say this to people. I said, anything you want to count me a counsel, I can probably relate to about anything you're going through. Business, uh, uh, you name it, I can uh, uh, marry. I said, everything but divorce. Never been through a divorce. But we've lived life and we've done everything else, so I said, I can probably relate to that. But what you need, you don't need somebody to relate to your problem. You need somebody to relate to your answer. There's lots of people that can relate to your problem because they're just human beings and we live life. But you don't need somebody to answer that can relate to your problem and all feel sorry for you because it's not sympathy that overcomes, it's compassion. Jesus didn't have sympathy for people. He had compassion for people. And there's a difference. Compassion will change the circumstances, change the situations, but what happens with sympathy, it just agrees with the problem where two or three agree in month, touching anything, it's redundant to them. So careful who you agree with. Praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's example number one. Here's another. This guy was a prophet. Amen? This guy was Jeremiah. They used to call him the weeping prophet. Why? Because he was always crying out. He was, he was prof- prophesying at the time in Israel when Israel was, was serving other gods. They were doing everything wrong. And God was warning them, listen, the Babylonians are about to come over and take over you. And they did heed the warnings of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah carried the burden of what was about to happen, knowing what God had shown was about to happen. Hasn't happened yet. I still got a chance if I could just persuade this king to get over himself and begin to do something good for the nation and lead the people back to God. And basically he was writing, so he wrote scrolls. And they didn't have a book like this. Uh, you'll see him, some, of the, some of the rabbis use them today. They use a scroll instead of a page where you have pages like this. All the pages are attached together and they're rolled up in a scroll. So Jeremiah was sitting down, and he was writing a scroll, uh, I think about three or four pages, the Bible says, long. And he rolled it up, and he gave it to the, to the king's courier. And the king's courier, or, or court, whoever he was, gave it to the king. The king opens up the scroll, and basically it's the word of Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord, this, this, and this is going to happen. Please return, or, or return uh, uh, to the God. Uh, you know, forsake your sin and go on and on and on. And the king rolls it up, and the Bible says in old King James, they take out a penknife. It actually says that, penknife, and he cut it all up and threw it in the fire because the fire was going there. So the message went back to Jeremiah, and so Jeremiah said, the king rejected your message. So what, he said, what shall I do now? He said, well, the king was not going to do it, and basically, I guess we're doomed. So he goes to God, and he asks God, he said, what shall I do? And God says, write it again. So Jeremiah sat down, and he wrote the scroll again and again. Israel never did turn. But Jeremiah was kept free. 
But he kept on doing what they're doing. What was God saying? Now that took courage. I mean, you, you, because basically they wound up imprisoning Jeremiah. But here's what happened. When Jeremiah was in prison, we think, oh, that was awful. He went in prison. No. When the conquering king and the Babylonians came in, they saw Jeremiah in prison and it, they acquainted it as a person or enemy against the state and they freed him. <laughs> now, Israel wasn't free because basically they served Babylon in slavery for about the next 70 years. Jerusalem fell and the Babylonians destroyed the temple and the temple had to be rebuilt again. And of course, that takes us up to Nehemiah when they built the, built the walls around the temple, they rebuilt in the temple. So that was another thing. So what happened? The continuation that God was impressing upon uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to take care of you, but just keep on doing it. He's going to do the same thing. It doesn't matter. Write it out again. But they're not going to listen to me. Write it out again. They're never going to listen. Write it out again. Write it again. Write it again. Write it again. Some people ask, well, pastor, how come you repeat on some of your messages? Because I'm writing it again. Well, how can you say that? Got to write it again. Got to write it. They didn't get it the first time around. Now, people say I talk fast. Do I talk fast, Saray? Yeah. <laughs> Last Sunday, Saray was translating. <laughs> a Spanish lady said in the, or a Spanish guy said in the church, and he got the whole message because Saray was translating. I've been all around the world. I've been to Guatemala, I mean, Spanish, the Spanish-speaking, Chile, Guatemala, uh, Peru, uh, different places. I can tell you right now, I have the best translator I have ever come across in the entire world right here at Key West because she can translate me word for word. I don't have to sit there and pause. I haven't seen translation to that level in the church at all in my travels. I've seen that translation level only in the government. There's a government translation, so she does a pretty good job for anybody speaking Spanish. Uh, you can hear it just like I'm, I'm saying it. And I asked myself, well, uh, last week there's a man and wife were right there, and the woman, uh, the wife spoke English, the man just a little bit of English, so she, she was translating. I said, well, how did she do? Did she, did she miss anything? No. She hit it right on the, uh, on the next slide. I said, praise the Lord. I said, good, good translators here. Amen. Well, we have to because God gives us an international vision anyway, so praise the Lord, so we look at things internationally. That's Jeremiah. So, okay, there's a degree. Here we got Daniel, we got Jeremiah. How about, uh, how about Nehemiah? Now, this comes after Jeremiah, Nehemiah. We're talking end of 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Uh, this is where Daniel writes. From, it was Daniel's involved. Uh, so Nehemiah gets, gets a, a thing on the Lord. He, uh, God puts a burden upon his heart to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Not just the walls, not the temple, just the walls. Let me tell you what happened before I get into Nehemiah. They built the foundations. Ezra was a prophet at that time. They built the foundations to the temple. And they had the foundations. And what they did, when they built the foundations, they had a dedication of the new temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. And they had a big, big gathering. And the old men who remembered what the temple used to look like began to weep and cry. Because they saw what the temple is, and they saw now we're down a foundation, we're going, oh, starting all over again, and they begin to weep and cry. But the younger people who never saw the temple, they saw now we're getting a rebuilding of the temple, which we never had before. This is glorious, because this is where God's going to thrive. So you had crying, and you had praising at the same time, and nobody can discern from one another's voice what it was. That foundation that they put down sat for 15 years before they ever went back to it. I guess they cooled off in their faith. 
because basically it took him 15 years to get back to building. Now comes Nehemiah. No, Nehemiah wasn't building a temple. He's building walls. Now the walls had breaches in them. They burned the gates because they're made out of wood. They burned the gates. The Babylonians did. And there was breaches in the wall. But something happened in Babylon that released this new building project. And it was called King Cyrus, who was a Persian, basically ordained of God. Here's a Gentile king ordained of God from Persia to go in, conquer the uh, Babylonian empire and release the Jewish people. And because he had a, a commission from God, released Nehemiah and the rest of them to go back and reestablish Jerusalem. Talk about a sovereign God. Amen. Talk about something God had put on him. But what did they have to do while they were in captivity? They had to keep on and continue on the words of the Lord. Keep continuing on. From Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to keep on and continue and continue and continue. Though they saw no difference in their daily life, they still continued because they knew someday God would do it. Jewish people are still continuing today. You realize that America and Israel are the only two nations on on the planet who have been established on the principles of God. In other words, people, the, the pilgrims came to this country and, and, and discovered uh, Columbus. You don't realize something about, uh, about Columbus. He didn't discover America. He discovered the West Indies. He was a little bit off in his calculations and his, and his navigation. But he was paid by Jewish people because of the Spanish Inquisition that was, that was uh, killing off the Jews through the Catholic Church in Spain. So they wanted freedom, and they were paying Columbus to, to find them a land where they could be free. And guess where that land? Now, Columbus didn't, didn't make it but close enough, but he, he proved that there was another land that they could come to. And he was paid by Jewish people to come and discover America. Amazing, isn't it? So America was actually founded on religious freedoms, is the founding of America. And so is Israel. You can go in Israel today. You don't have to be Jewish. You can, you can be anything you want. But there's a freedom there to worship in, in Israel. Not so in some of the other countries. Amen? Amen? The country that builds your sneakers, not so. Praise the Lord. Anyway. But anyway, so, so Nehemiah, what happened to Nehemiah? Because he was building a wall, it upset some people. You know those people that never do nothing but always say you can't do it? None of those people. Okay, but basically, the, 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 so he was built, rebuilding a wall, and it got so bad because he, they go to sleep at night, and somebody would come down and tear down the wall, part of the wall that he just got done building. He'd get up next morning, put it back in. He'd get up next morning, and it'd be torn down again. So Nehemiah says, okay, here, we have a decree from Cyrus. This is illegal. We have a legal right to be here. We don't have a legal right. We have a moral right to be here. Here's what we're going to do. He says, everybody arm themselves with a sword. And everybody else, with one hand, we're going to do the work. It says in Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah 4, it says, with one hand, we're going to do the work of the Lord. On the other hand, we're going to have a sword to protect the work that God has done. Well, God has given you a sword. Do you know God got to give you a sword? Yes, it's called the Word of God. This is Bible is sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? So basically, this, this sword. but they had actual swords, and they were uh, yeah, to get the... Uh, so that didn't work. So a couple of guys came up to Nehemiah and said, oh, Nehemiah, Come on, you need a break, man. Come on down from the scaffolding. Come on down. And, and, and come on down and party with us. And, we, we, you know, just come, come in with us. We'll just have a good time. Take a break. Take a break. Nehemiah says, why should I leave the work of the Lord? And they come down and basically, para- Kevin Kerr paraphrase, why should I come down and, with the likes of you? I've got a higher call. There's a higher call and purpose in my life than partying with you guys. He says, no, I'm not coming down. I'm going to stay, stay on the work of the Lord. Built the wall in 52 days. Got it done. The breaches in the wall fi- finished it. Amen? What happens? The continuation of what God had told him to do 
Nehemiah never had any idea he was going to have to fight somebody to do the work that was legally supposed to be granted to him. How many has ever been part of the building department here? <laughs> I just thought I slipped that in. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. There's always somebody going to be opposed to the work you do, especially if you're doing the work for the Lord, going to be opposed to that work. But the continuation built up a courage in Nehemiah. He determined, I'm not quitting. I don't care. I'm going to do it. And this is it. Amen. So the determination to continue on, to continue in what God said to do, built a courage to get it, how to get it done. And to ward off the enemy. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what I'm saying. We, 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 got, we got things uh, a little bit backwards. Now, can I get to the scripture that I want to talk about this morning? Because this counts still more down our, our speed. And I'm going to use Josiah. Josiah, come up here. In the book of Kings, 1 Kings, uh, well, I can preach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation this morning. Can we? <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm just touching on some of these things. I want to give you enough uh, evidence. Uh, but Josiah here, we're going to call him, we're going to call him um, Elijah. Elisha. How many remember Elijah and Elijah? Elijah was a prophet. Uh, of course, he, took a, he came against the prophets of Baal. Jezebel sat around Jezebel's table, Ahab, and so on and so forth. And it, so what happened was uh, uh, um, Elijah, basically, how many remember uh, he set the altar, called down fire from heaven? But what did he do first? He took the water and poured it over the altar. Now, a lot of people think that he did that for fire uh, uh, proofing to make the miracle seem bigger. No, if you know anything about libation, what he's doing, he's pouring out a libation offering because basically that was a, what they were going through was a drought. Remember God shut up the heavens and it was it. There were no rain, they hadn't seen rain. So that water he was pouring out was more precious than the gold that they had in their pockets. He poured it out over the offering as a libation offering. In other words, God's going to bless us with more. And he did as a libation offering. God came down and consumed the offering. He just got done with all that marvelous work and basically, he kind of ran scared. And Elijah went, took off running, because he was a good runner. He took off running, and he said, Lord, he, said, he says, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, Jezebel now is more determined than ever to kill me. What am I supposed to do? Well, what was God's answer to Elijah to continue, right? Basically, Elijah was supposed to continue with the work that he had to do. But now, he was sitting there, and he says, he says I am the, and this is what he told God. He said, I'm the only one left. Elijah did. I'm the only one left. And God says to me, listen to this point. God said, said to, to, to um, Elijah, he says, he, sa he said this, he says, I've got 7,000. Get this. Second, first Kings 19, 18. I got 7,000, God says, that I've called that have not bowed their knee to Baal or kissed him on the cheek. I got 7,000 that haven't compromised themselves with uh, idolatry. So now I said that to bring you up to the story because this is Elijah here. Praise the Lord. And what happened is Elijah was a farmer. You a farmer? No, just in the story. Hallelujah. But anyway, to a farmer, not only a farmer, he had 12 yoke of oxen. Now that's, people read over this, what does that mean? It means he was very rich. 12 yoke of oxen is 24 oxen. The yoke is in two, two oxen. 24 oxen plus he had help. He had servants uh, to, to plow the fields. Elisha had it made before he met the prophet. There's no reason to give up what he had because it was all inherited to him. He was the son who was going to inherit it all. All this farm was him. All, his, all the money was his already. There's no, there's no debate over this thing. Now here comes the prophet of God to disrupt the entire plan and retirement plan that Elisha had. 
So Elijah, okay, you walk this way. Just don't go too far because you got to be in the cameras. Walk this way. So here's Elijah plowing the field. Make believe you're plowing the field. Okay, stop. Okay. So here comes the prophet. Make believe I'm Elijah. 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 Praise the Lord. Elijah and Elisha. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The prophet comes up behind him. He's plowing the field and he does this. He puts his cloak. Well, not his suit jacket, but his cloak. His, his cloak could be a prayer cloth, could be a lot of article of clothing. Doesn't say a word. Oh, man, a few words that prophet is. We should, didn't prophesy him. Oh, God's got grim, great fire. And not didn't try to convince him at all. And walked away. He didn't say a word, but somehow Elijah knew exactly what it meant. Because you see, a man's coat was an exchange article when you're making a covenant. So basically, he knew something about a covenant, but he wasn't walking in a covenant with a prophet. He didn't say anything to a prophet. I mean, he just, he just he put his coat on him. That's it. So Elijah, Elisha knows exactly. He goes running after Elijah and says this. He says, he says to him, he says, he says uh, in other words, he didn't ask him, what's this about? He says, let me first. So he knew what was coming next. But what, let me first go back and kiss my mother and father and say goodbye, and close out the estate, and so on and so forth. I'm willing to follow you, but let me do this first. What did the prophet say to him? The prophet basically looked at him and says, what do I have to do with you? And walked away. In other words, listen, this calls between you and God. I'm just being obedient. Here's the sign. This is the call. This is what it is. Take it or leave it. I'm out of here. And the prophet kept walking away. Elisha went back, thinking about this all the way back. He takes, he slaughters the ox. He boils the meat, gives it to all the servants, burn the plows. Burn the plows. They weren't his plows. They were his dad's plows. Dad probably said, why'd you burn the plows? We, don't, we need the plows. We burn the plows. He burned the plows, burned everything. In other words, he cut loose of all the ties that he had that would tempt him to go back. He ran after the prophet, and it says this, he became Elijah's servant. Amen. Servant. He had servants. He was on the top rung of the, of, of the, of the pyramid. He was there. He, he, was, he had everything. Now he becomes a servant to the prophet. But he continued with him. Year after year after year until the Lord came down and took Elijah. And he said, Elijah said to him, he says, well, I got to go. I'm going over to Jericho. Here's Jericho again. That city keeps coming up in my messages, doesn't it? Here, go over to Jericho. And he says, um, uh, uh, you stay here. I'm going to go. Uh, and the Lord's going to take me up. And he says, no. He said, I'm not leaving. He says, sure, you're going up. He said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving your side. So they're walking away. And Elijah says to him, he says, he says to Elijah, he says, well, okay, uh, what would you want me to do for you? And he said, immediately, he said, give me a double portion of what you have. Now, the only thing he had was the anointing of God. So give me a double portion of that. Do you know that Elijah, if you look at the record, Elijah did all the miracles twice over that Elijah, Elijah did except for one. He was one short of twice as many miracles. If you count them up in the Bible, he was one short. What happened? How, how, well, how, then the word of God wasn't fulfilled. He had one more miracle to do, to give a double portion. Uh-huh. 
When Elijah finally died and they placed his body in a tomb, the Israelis were fighting and, they're on a, and one of their comrades had died. They're taking the body and running with the body and they throw it in Elijah's tomb. And when that dead body hit those bones, it came back to life. Amen. That was the one miracle that was needed. It was even after he was gone and nothing but a pile of bones left in his tomb, he still there was enough anointing in those bones. I, I love this story. He enough to bring that guy back to life. And his yeah. friends, and, and, and ran back and, and ran, ran to safety. Amen. Isn't that cool? Yes. But exactly, double portion, you got exactly double the, the miracles. Oh, Matter yeah. of fact, this is a side note, Elijah was the one, Elisha was the one who went to Jericho. Remember the, the school of the prophets were making fun of him? Oh, what are you going to do now? That your, the, the prophet's gone, what, your master's gone. What are you going to do now? What, now what are you going to do? It's one of those people that have never done nothing but telling you what, what would happen, like I said in the beginning. One of those people. So what happens? He grabbed hold of the mantle because Elisha said, "You see me when I'm gone," and you grab my mantle. He said, "You you will have what you ask for." And he went ahead and grabbed the mantle. He walked over to the River Jordan. Remember the River Jordan back in Joshua's time? How God stopped the flow so they could walk across. He took that mantle and he striked it against the against the River Jordan, and it stopped. All of a sudden, all the guys in the peanut gallery, I call them. Okay, sitting there making fun of him. What are you going to do now? Oh, no, sure, now the prophet's going there. Where's your anointing? Now what are you going to do? All the critics all of a sudden saw that in amazement, ran after him, bowed themselves and said, you are the next prophet over Israel. That was it. Amen. Well, those same guys at the same time said, listen, seeing how you're the prophet, can you help us out here? Our water source is polluted. Our water source is, is, is done. Can you and Elijah went there, and this took the last curse off of, off of Jericho. I'm not going back to last week's preaching. But he poured his salt at the source, and basically the water came out clean. And, it's, and it, to this day, the water flows pure. In, in, uh, in, in, that's just a side note. Amen. Praise the Lord. Elijah became one out of 7,000 that God chose. Where's your choosing? Amen? Amen Praise the Lord. What well, gives you the idea, Pastor Kerr, that you can start a church in Key West? You're not even a conch. I don't want to be a conch. I'm a scuba diver. I see conchs all the time. They're a spineless little sea snail that goes along and sucks up the impurities of the bottom of the ocean. Why do I want to be one of them? I mean, genetically, that's what they are. Uh, but anyway, so, so, what makes you think you can? I don't know. Maybe because God says so. God says, Covenant Word Church will be an international ministry. It'll be impressed in, across the inter- I've been to all kinds of countries. I preach the Gospels on um, about 15 different continents. Just going around and, and still doing it. Still, still going on. Why? Because God has said. Because God said. Yes. But you see, if you turn God down, you could be just another number, like the 7,000. 7,000 haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Maybe they've been true to God as far as not bowing their knee to Baal. But what about are they doing fulfilling the purpose? Because God has a higher call than what you're doing. Not just your responsibility is not just to get saved. Hmm. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. <laughs> I said your responsibility is not just to get saved. Okay, that's what benefits you. But now, where's your life to benefit somebody else? Huh. Praise the Lord. That's another message I can time. I promise you, Jesus. Before I close out, so let me let me give you Jesus. Praise the Lord. How many know Jesus? Okay, now he's going to preach out of the New Testament. Pay attention. Take good notes. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. The words of Christ, I know because they're read in my Bible. Whenever Jesus speaks, the letters turn red. Okay, but anyway, he said in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. Then Jesus said unto those Jews which believed him. 
So he's talking to his own people, the Jewish people. If, you can, if ye continue, later King James, if ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I come up with this conclusion. Let me read that again, the words of Jesus. If you continue, let me say continue. That's a continuation. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, a disciple, what is a disciple? A disciple is not, not just a believer. A disciple is a student willing to learn. Thank you, Josiah. Praise the Lord. We're, we're done with, with Elijah for a moment. Amen. So he said, he said so if you continue my word, he said, then, then you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Continue. In other words, what happens, because you read the Bible once, because you went to church one time, don't mean nothing. I know it's got good English. doesn't mean anything. Hallelujah. Because basically there has to be a continuation. Jesus said it in his own, own voice. He said, no, there has to be a continuation. But if you continue, in other words, I'm, I'm banking on the fact you're going to continue. He said, you should know the truth. It will make you free. Truth and freedom. So that means if we quit. Okay, I, I put this in my notes. I'll just go ahead and read the way I wrote it down. If truth and freedom are pr produced through continuation, ha, tell my message then quitting must produce lies and bondage. <laughs> Jesus said, if the, you continue my words, you're my disciples indeed. He said, and, and then you'll know the truth. After you continue, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So truth and freedom is what we get from continuing with Christ. But when we're interrupted, and when something interrupts our, our, our relationship with Christ, interrupts our service with Christ, interrupts our church, interrupts everything else, then what happens is we can look at a quitting or not a, a, a discontinuing. So if truth and freedom produces, uh, is produced through a continuation, then quitting must produce lies and bondage. Amen. The opposite has to be true. They both can't be true. So one thing to be true, the opposite, the opposite has, to be also, has to be true. So basically, I guess I can offer you the choice this morning to continue on with Christ and continue on with those things or to quit and surrender to lies and bondage. We've been made free. Church doesn't put you in bondage. Church religion puts you in bondage, but church doesn't put you in bondage. Church gives you freedom. Paul said, enjoy your liberty, but don't use that liberty as an occasion to sin for the flesh. Well, you can enjoy liberty. How many are free this morning? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless all six of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now, this is where I'm going to close with this one scripture. Can you, can you take one more? Yes, Again, the words of Jesus. How many remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? How many remember when Jesus fed the 4,000? Uh-huh. See, the 5,000 gets more attention. I just looked at your faces. The 5,000 gets more attention than the 4,000. Why? Because the 5,000 happened first. That was a bigger miracle. It was 5,000. And Jesus fed it. Remember the little boy's lunch? The loaves and fishes? And he broke them, broke them, broke them. No, he didn't break them. Jesus prayed over it and handed his disciples. The disciples began to break it. And for Jesus' prayer, the miracle was transferred to the disciples, and their hands were actually performing the miracle. Read the book. That was a 5,000. And, of course, after that, they went in a boat. Uh, so, but here, we don't, if you read down, that is in Matthew chapter 14. But if you read in Matthew chapter 15, now Jesus calls to his disciples and said to himself, I have compassion on the multitude. He said that in, in Matthew chapter 14. He said, I see they're sick. I see they're, 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 
I have compassion on them. He said, I'm, and he went ahead and he healed them. His compassion led to healing. And of course, they're there for a long time. He said, no, don't send them away. He said, let's give them, what do we have to start with? Well, we have a starter meal, okay, which is a little boy's box lunch of, uh, uh, of loaves and fishes. And he says, here, that's enough. He held it up to heaven. He prayed to the Father. He said, and he handed it back to the disciples. And, the disciples, and that's how the 5,000 were fed. Here, he looks at the 4,000. This is just the next chapter after that. He looks at the 4,000. I have compassion on the multitude. Why? Because they're sick? No. Uh-uh. This one is in forced sickness. He might have been sick there. He might have done some miracles. But this is what he said. I had compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days. And they haven't had anything to eat and they have done nothing, but they showed their resilience by continuing with me because they continued with me. The continuation led to a blessing. Before it was the ailments and the sickness that led to a blessing. No, now it's because they continued. They stuck with me. They didn't shrink back. They stuck with the whole thing. Now I can give them a blessing. And Jesus is by that, by their sticking to it, by continuing, continuing, continuing. And didn't leave, didn't go home, say, oh, I got things to do. Oh, no, this is, okay, this is boring, I'm going to leave. That. No, no. Uh, they continued with me, and because they continued, I have compassion on them. You can tell me all you want, but the continuation led to compassion of Christ, and the compassion of Christ led to the empowerment of those that continued. Amen. And that's straight from the Word. So it isn't just about what I feel like doing. Oh, don't get that. Don't go there. Amen. Now, if you want to, if you want to look at it, the, the five thousand had compassion because of their sickness, but the four thousand, four thousand had compassion because they stuck to them. Three days. When was the last time you fasted for three days? I did one time, and whew, I tell you what, I was waiting for the angels to show up to minister to me. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was fast for three days, but they were just sitting there listening to Jesus. And I might have brought some stuff with them, but who knows if it was a whole three days. But he said, no. He said, because they continued with me, the same as applies today. Because we continue with Christ, Christ is a blessing for us. Because he continued, the ones who continued saw the miracles. The one that got fed up and went home never saw the truth of Christ. They never heard those words. It was the 4,000 that stuck with them. And that's just a man, by the way. They only counted the men. They didn't count the women and children. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You try to get your little young whippersnapper to sit for three days, listen to <laughs> following Jesus around. Uh, they just listened to preaching, but, it was, it was, it was, but they stuck with him. They didn't want to get him out, leave him out of his sight. And he turned because they continued. Coming to Word Church, continue with the things of Christ. Continue with it. Don't just give up. Continue with it. See, the 5,000 started with five loaves, two fishes, and had 12 baskets left over. Oh, I didn't talk about the leftovers, did I? The 4,000 started with seven loaves, a few small fishes, and the leftovers were seven baskets. When God blesses us, there's enough, not only for our need, but there's enough to supply others. Yes, sir. It isn't about our Christian life and how we're going to make it into the next life. or next. next uh, it's about how are we helping out somebody else. Just a word of encouragement sometimes, whatever it takes. But are we, are we there to help somebody else? Amen. 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 I'm going to stop right here. I've got about six pages of notes, but I'll just pick it up next week. Praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. How many got something out of the word this morning? Yes. So you see, courage of, the courage of continuation. If you want boldness, just keep on sticking to it.
keep on the things of God. Show me the people that you know that have quit on Christ. Show me where they are today. How about, how about the ones that have been offended? How many have ever been offended? If you want to get offended, boy, I tell you, when you go to church, you get offended in a hurry, especially if you're the preacher. <laughs> Is somebody going to offend you? It was too high. On and on and on. Understand what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes but to still kill and destroy, but I come to give you life and life more abundant. That's what he says. All right. Out of that, understand this last statement, and this is my closing. It's the second closing. It's the American way I can do this. Okay, Satan's agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to me. His strategy is division, and his tactic is offense. That's a fact. More people have given up over offenses than anything. Now, I've got 33 years of ministry in, and I have watched more people quit and stop their continuation quit over offenses more than anything else, and that's in the church. I don't deal with the world much. I deal with the church. Well, I deal with the world on the, on the die boat, but they all love me. Hallelujah. <laughs> I have an easier time with the world than I do with the church. But the fact is, but this is it. Understand that. Satan's going to come to you to steal, kill, and destroy, but how is he going to get that through? He's going to find an offense someplace. He's going to find a way that you can be offended. Because when you're offended, you're doing something that Christ chose not to do. And you're not identifying with him. Because if anybody should have been offended, it should have been Jesus having to go to a cross when he had no sin of his own. But I don't see any place in the Bible where Jesus was ever offended going to the cross. Amen. Now his preaching offended a lot of the religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees were religious leaders. Oh yeah, the religion. Jesus is always going to offend religious people. Why? Because they want it, their control, their way, the way they want to do it, when they want to do it, as many times, and then leave me alone. And those kind of people, they saw Jesus as a threat. Are you here? Praise the Lord. But Jesus took no offense to himself, and he freely, freely went to the cross. Even though he went to the cross and it was agony, but he freely went to the cross. Another thing I don't see, church, you ready for this? Okay, this is grown-up stuff. You ready? I never saw Jesus complain when he went to the cross. Now, if you really live in a Christian life in the, in the ways of Jesus' the cross, then basically complaining should be put as not as a spiritual man, but the carnal. Because what Jesus was showing us on how to operate, I said, well, he was Jesus, he was deity, he was also humanity. Jesus was deity having to learn how to live in humanity. We're humanity trying to learn how to live in deity. But Jesus showed us how it could be done in both worlds. No, he was all. Matter of fact, the Bible says clearly, flee from those that said Jesus didn't die in the flesh and in the spirit. Flee from those. Amen? Praise the Lord, because it's not true. Paul dealt with that with a false doctrine. Oh, Jesus was just always, uh, uh, you know, he was all just supernatural. No, it wasn't. He was also human. Getting all the word this morning. Let's stand at our feet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory. Amen. If you're praying at home and if you listen to the message at home or live streaming wherever you're at, uh, or maybe you're tuning in later on this afternoon or when it goes up on a message, I want to pray. Well, you continue. Don't give up on Christ. I don't care what it looks like. I'll talk to pastors right now in the name of Jesus. Your church looks empty. 
Okay, it's probably going to look emptier until this pandemic and stuff is done. Don't get discouraged because of what you see in the congregation. Okay, be encouraged what God is doing you because if you're still preaching, you're preaching by the sovereignty of God. Amen. Amen. So I want to I want to leave with that with that note. But let's pray for the church, pray for the work because we are living in the last days. I don't care what anybody says. I, I can. I mean, it is so noticeable. It really is. Uh, what Jesus said, or what the, what the Bible, I should say, the prophet Joel said this. He said that in the last days, God is going to draw all nations to Israel and judge them there. Do you know right now that they, are, that they have initiated a law that they can pray on the Temple Mount? Do you right now, they have all the articles of the furnishing of the old temple? And you know what that means? That means that basically we're getting ready for the end times where the Antichrist will show up on the scene and tr Jesus Christ will return for his church. We're coming into that time. So I just got to share that. Of course, there's no big revelation. Everybody knows that, should know that. The church should know that. But the fact is, is, is I want to pray that, we, that you don't weaken. Through, your, through continuation, let the courage, courage of God come upon you and encourage your heart. You're not going to get it within yourself. Oh, come on. If you could have got it within yourself, you would have got it all a long time ago. If you could do the things that the Bible promises, you could do that on your own without God? How's that working for you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for the blessing this morning. I thank you for the blessing of the word and the anointing, Father. Bless everyone.